Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Tonight, here we go again. Do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? Eye rolls, high heels, and talk of scum. You're just the scum. Easy How the Republican race to take on Donald Trump suddenly got interesting. Drone war. One of Iran's drones gets through American air defenses. Is it only a matter of time before Mr. Biden must meet more flag-draped caskets at Dover? At 80, can he keep up as a wartime commander-in-chief? Israel fights back on the streets of Gaza and on the battlefield for hearts and minds. Plus, failure to launch. Why quitting childhood is so hard for Generation Z. You're wearing tuxedos to a job that requires you to clean bathrooms. Get out of my office! Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, we have a race in the Republican primary. Not a race for first place yet, but a race nonetheless for second place to take on Donald Trump. Last night's Iowa debate confirmed what polling from Iowa shows. Right now it is between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley to take on Trump, which makes December 6th so important. News Nation will host the next and possible final Republican debate before Iowa. With us now, Scott Traynor, head of data science for our partners at Decision Desk HQ. Mark Lauder, former special assistant to the president, press secretary to vice president Mike Pence. Gentlemen, good to see both of you. Scott, I uh, want to start with you with a n- moment from last night, probably uh, this, what would have been the most thought about moment, which was at the very beginning, Vivek Ramaswamy going after, of all people, the moderators. She made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. You're just easy answer. Okay, Uh, that was him going after Nikki Haley. Uh, Does that how is there any rules anymore to the debates? And I ask that in light of the 2015 debates uh, that, that you would think that sort of a lack of decorum hurts people. And now it doesn't seem to. No, it, it actually, we see it in the fundraising. You know, Vivek does those things because it helps him on the fundraising side. And, you know, if the clip went a couple seconds longer, we'd see Nikki Haley basically call him scum. That helps her on the fundraising side, too. These big gotcha moments that we're playing clips on, it, it plays well to the base. Um, it's certainly on the fundraising side. We'll see if it helps him on the voting side. Um, you know, that wasn't necessarily a popular thing if you were supporting one of the other candidates. It just drives up his negatives. Um, among everyone else. But, you know, that's what you have to do if you want to get attention. Mark, let's look at this from a different perspective. You look forward. If there is a non-Trump lane, what is it? 
I don't know if there is, but if there was, I mean, you're going to have someone that's that's going to have to have that experience. Like a lot of people were complaining uh, about how it was focused on international relations and foreign policy. Well, we expect our presidents, regardless of policy of politics, to check that box. I need to be able to envision you in the Oval Office. I need to imagine you being there in a time of crisis. And so last night, I think it definitely two, maybe even three, you could argue, made that case. They looked presidential. They were talking about international relations. It's definitely Nikki Haley's wheelhouse. And she came off as experienced in that way. Then they move it to the other issues, which is actually what the voters are going to decide the election on. All right. So you could imagine yesterday after the results in Tuesday, which now seem like forever ago, the Republicans got shellacked in. The moderators were rewriting all their questions uh, about abortion and the candidates were trying to figure out their answers. The one person who I thought his answer really didn't change debate to debate to debate on abortion was Nikki Haley. Take a listen. I don't judge anyone for being pro-choice, and I don't want them to judge me for being pro-life. So when we're looking at this, there are some states that are going more on the pro-life side. I welcome that. There are some states that are going more on the pro-choice side. I wish that wasn't the case, but the people decided. So this is the question. That works very well in a general election. Is that disqualifying among Republican primary voters? We're going to find out. It's interesting. She was She's been giving that answer for a couple of debates, you know, slightly different, right. but, but, but factually the same. Um, you know, she sounds very nuanced on it. She's obviously the only one on the stage who can speak at it from, you know, biologically being correct. Right, um, from a woman's perspective. But also, yeah. interesting, it sort of is Donald Trump's position. He's also moved away yeah. from a, a harsh pro-life, anti-abortion stance. Speaking of Donald Trump, not on the stage last night, uh, was in Florida, not far away at a rally. Take a listen. They're not watchable. You know, the last debate was the lowest rated debate in the history of politics. So, so therefore, do you think we did the right thing by not participating? All right. What ha- I'm not going to ask you if there's a chance. What has to happen for Donald Trump to show up, to make it politically uh, important for him to show up at the debate a month from now? I think if any single candidate starts to get momentum and they start cutting into his lead, the difference right now, though, is that they're swapping support amongst each other. They're not necessarily cutting into him. But if you see a Nikki Haley go out of the low teens into 20s, then all of a sudden it's like, OK, I'll put my foot down and, and end it right here. Yeah, yeah, you have a two candidate race, right? We might see it after a Super Tuesday if there's actually two legitimate candidates. To see a race. All right. Yeah. In other words, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. All right. Maybe. Gentlemen, it's good to see both of you. Thank maybe. you very much. We good appreciate it. As we mentioned, News Nation is home to the next Republican presidential debate. Elizabeth Vargas moderating along with Megyn Kelly. News Nation Republican primary debate live from the University of Alabama Wednesday, December 6th at 8 p.m. Uh, it's a month away. You can set your DVRs. Israel played a major part in last night's debate and it will in the next month's debate as well. So will questions over the protection of American troops. And we just learned about an Iranian drone that slipped through American air defenses and, but for the grace of God, could have killed dozens of American service members. The drone hit an American barracks, but because of a manufacturing defect, the drone didn't explode. That's some new reporting for Reuters. It would have ended the lives. It would have killed perhaps dozens of American service members. It happened in Erbil, Iraq, home to a large U.S. air base. It's one of a few bases Iranian militias keep hammering over and over and over again. There have been 46 attacks since Hamas launched its war with Israel. 
and the Iranian attacks have injured nearly 60 Americans. Last night, American jets bombed another Iranian-backed weapons depot, but somehow the message hasn't gotten through. Even President Biden admitted that today. They're working in the sense that we're hitting the targets. That's what GPS bombs do. Hamas and Israel's strategies in this war are very clear. In fact, when offered two of their hostages back by Islamic Jihad today, Israel said no to a ceasefire or even a pause in return. That interview is later in the show. Israel says all their hostages need to be released before ceasefire discussions can happen, full stop. And they promise to destroy Hamas regardless. Hamas promises to destroy Israel. They'll do anything to make that happen. President Biden's strategy is a series of competing ideas involving domestic political considerations, a foreign policy team that doesn't want to admit their policy failed on Iran, and a political team that doesn't want to try and focus attention on the commander-in-chief's age during a full-blown crisis. It's complicated. Moral clarity leads to strategic paralysis. Strategic paralysis leads to loss of control. Here now, author of the book, Total Empire, former acting undersecretary of defense for policy in the Trump administration, Brigadier General Anthony Tata. Uh, General, it's good to see you, sir. Thank you. Uh, Are we nearing the point of losing control here? Are the Biden administration losing control of the Middle East? Hey, Leland, great to be with you. Uh, we've been skidding on ice for almost three years uh, right now. I, you know, I, what we've got is we're reacting to everything. We've reacted to bad intel in Afghanistan. We've reacted to bad intel in Ukraine uh, uh, vis-a-vis Russia. We were acting. We had no intel, evidently, on Hamas attacking Israel. And, and we have sharing agreements uh, with Israel. Uh, so... Uh, the the lack of proactive management of intelligence and engagement in the region has led to this reactionary foreign policy. So, yes, as the answer to your question, uh, we are heading in a very bad direction here because we have we didn't do the deterrence up front. We've uh, cozied up to Iran, who is the number one bad actor in the region, uh, uh, fueling and supplying all of these Shia militia groups like Hezbollah, Hamas, uh, the Houthi rebels, and and the Iraqi Shia militia groups, all of whom are responsible for carrying out these 46-plus attacks since October 7th. Now, They've been going on well before then. We just didn't talk about them much. So there's, uh, for whatever reason, uh, Leland, the, this, the, uh, let me get you to what, has, President Biden's, what President Biden said, right? He said that uh, the attacks are working in the sense that we're hitting the targets, which GPS bombs do a pretty good job of. We saw the pictures of the, the weapon storage facility in Syria that was hit a couple of days ago or overnight last night. Um, I guess the question is what they're what they're not doing and what was probably the president admitted, although he didn't admit it uh, verbally, is they're not doing the job of deterring the Iranians from right. their continued aggression. They shot down one of our Reaper drones off the coast of Yemen. Uh, that's not on this map, but it, it, millions upon millions of dollars of U.S. hardware. Uh, you think they were probably yeah. pretty aware that it wasn't uh, a manned aircraft, but it was certainly a message of the kind of weapons the Houthis have. Uh, at this point, 
Is there anything that can be done by the United States to restore deterrence? Yeah, sure. Uh, the first thing we can do domestically is open up all oil and natural gas drilling and reduce reliance upon Middle East oil to include Iranian oil, which we are buying. And uh, the second thing we could do is reimpose the economic sanctions on Iran in a very harsh way that freezes that six billion. We got the hostages. Let's do a double take and 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 uh, free, freeze that six billion yeah, again. My, my understanding possible. is it's already been frozen, but I, I it's that it, it has been frozen by the Qataris. But I, I guess what I'm trying to see. Is there, is there any value, and I'll give you the last 30 seconds, is there any value to the Biden administration's desire, and we see this every time there's a strike or, or some kind of offensive action by the United States, to fear a sort of chain of escalation by the Iranians if we deliver a message back to them that is not a proportional response, that is, we take out large parts of the Iranian, of the IRGC infrastructure, whether it be Hezbollah, whether it be the, the, the militias in Iraq and Syria, and maybe sink some of their Navy ships. Yeah, no, we're, we have not escalated commensurate with the threat that we have received. And so I Iran is going to continue to foment this discontent and violence throughout the region until they are properly checked through American strength mm -hmm. and will uh, to include building a coalition that wants to challenge Iran. So uh, right now uh, we are on the defense and we really need to help Israel uh, separate Iran from this equation and shut down the flow of armaments into uh, the nations and, and uh, states surrounding Israel so that Israel can have the time and space it needs to restore its borders and uh, yeah. conduct its own national defense. All right, so that, that's the military side. We'll get on to the domestic political considerations in, min in a minute. General, thank you. We appreciate it. Nothing better illustrates the president's problem in his own party than the congressional staffer walkout. So, yes, staffers. People who we pay as taxpayers to staff congressional offices walked out. And we can assume they walked out mostly from Democratic offices and demanded their bosses, congressmen, demand a ceasefire. Our constituents are pleading for a ceasefire. And we are the staffers answering their calls every day. Most of our bosses on Capitol Hill are not listening to the people they represent. We demand our leaders speak up, call for a ceasefire, a release of all hostages, and an immediate de-escalation now. We assume Democratic offices because most wore masks and sunglasses to obscure their identities. So we really have no idea who these people are. The fact that they're obscuring their identities probably says all you need to know. Even Hillary Clinton thinks their position is a gift to Hamas. Remember, there was a ceasefire on October 6th that Hamas broke by their barbaric uh, assault on peaceful civilians and their kidnapping, their killing, their beheading, their terrible, inhumane uh, savagery. There was a ceasefire. It did not hold because Hamas chose to break it. Israel has a right to defend itself as any country would. 
So back now to the congressional walkout. Participants laid down more than 10,000 flowers to represent the victims of violence so far. Who knows where they got the money for all those flowers? Congressional staffers, especially low-level ones, don't make all that much. But they had 10,000 flowers. Eventually, the Capitol Police told them to go back to work. President Biden wants to support Israel, and he is publicly. He also wants to maintain the domestic political support of people who want to destroy Israel. Soon, he is going to have to pick one side. Coming up next, General Motors pulls 950 of its driverless vehicles off the streets of San Francisco. The cars have driven into pedestrians, construction sites, even a fire truck. They aren't ready for prime time, but here's the scary part. They might still be coming to a street near you. What's it going to do? It doesn't have any idea what to do. And Wonder Woman Gal Gadot is the latest target for haters of Israel. Roving gangs came to attack those who attended the actress's screening of a new film. What was being shown that the pro-Hamas folks don't want you to see? There's like 10 of them. Hmm. Scenes like this in San Francisco aren't because of bad traffic. It's because of driverless cars that have literally keep freezing all over the place. It's not just in San Francisco. You can see rows of driverless cars there. Another 20 froze in Texas on a busy Saturday night. They just stopped. And the stopping is the least of the problems. This is a video of a self-driving car hitting a person as they crossed the street in Arizona. She died. Driverless car just hit a fire truck over the summer in San Francisco. It hit a fire truck. Fire trucks are big with lights. And still the driverless car didn't stop. And then there's this. A driverless car got confused by, well, evidently deadheads going to a festival and couldn't quite figure out what to do. San Francisco Fire Chief Janine Nicholson joins us now. Uh, This seems to have gone beyond sort of like a bad idea that it's now pretty dangerous. So what I will say is that Cruz has uh, suspended all of their um, uh, autonomous uh, robo-taxis, if you will, for right now. Um, But the the problem was uh, that they were not ready for prime time when they were uh, permitted on the streets. And, you know, we saw that by all the challenges um, that, uh, you know, and all the problems that were caused. Yeah, one, at one point, one of them dragged a pedestrian 20 feet down the road after it, it hit a pedestrian. And I guess what I'm trying to figure out is if something is, as you said, not ready for prime time, and it's so not ready for prime time that it hit a fire truck. How did this come to be in the first place? Well, I think there was just um, really no regulation uh, on these um, companies, and uh, there was a lot of money behind them. And so, huh? uh, you know, they just got um, got pushed through. Um, fortunately, uh, Cruz and uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles um, have uh, now um, now understand um, what some of the uh, problems are with it, and uh, you know specifically around public safety, and uh, that's what I've been saying all, all along. You know, firefighters, we 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 try to use our common sense as much as possible, 
And I'm not anti-technology, I'm just pro-public safety. And there still need to be some things uh, worked out uh, so that these vehicles are safe uh, on the road for everybody. Um, because certainly maybe they will be able, be able to um, reduce yeah. you know, drunk driving incidents, but right now they're still not ready for prime time. Yeah, no, look, it'd be, gr- it'd be great if it worked. We'd all love nothing more. I chuckled when you said common sense, because common sense seems to be uh, so sorely lacking in so much of uh, America these days. When I, I keep going back to you. You said there was a lot of money behind it. Um, was there also sort of a desire for, uh, you know, electric cars that could just ferry us around and it would just sort of eliminate all these problems and it was seen as this panacea and everybody got excited about the technology and nobody, as you point out, it had the common sense to go, well, will it run into fire trucks? Well, we have been pointing this out for a long time now. Uh, the so they didn't listen to you. The, the San Francisco Fire Department has, as well as the San Francisco MTA, we've been pointing it out for a long time. And uh, we finally have some traction with these companies, and we're now working on solutions to some of this stuff in terms of how they can avoid our emergency scenes and our, uh, you know, our vehicles trying to pull out of fire stations. So we are, the fire department, we are very wow. solution-oriented, and, and, uh, and we want to fix this again not anti-technology, just pro-public safety. It's hard to argue with that. Uh, I'll add pro-common sense to it as well. Hard to argue with mm-hmm. that as well. It's good to see you, ma'am. Thank you very much. We appreciate the time. Thank you. All right. Wonder Woman, a.k.a. Gal Gadot, screened a new film last night in Los Angeles. Not a story we would normally cover, except things at the screening did not go well. Angry mobs of anti-Israeli demonstrators came out, and it turned into a mass brawl. Of course, it wasn't an ordinary film. It wasn't an ordinary Gal Gadot film. There is video, of course, that we've shown you of the Hamas attacks. There's another video. It's about 47 minutes long and includes similar scenes to the ones you see here from the October 7th attack from Hamas's videotaping, their GoProing of their atrocities. But it's far more graphic in nature. Remember, Hamas thought they would use all these films for their own public relations. They were proud of them. That's why they filmed everything. The Israelis now have a lot of that film and are playing it for people to understand exactly what happened. In the film, the 47-minute-long film, does not have the blurring of people's faces or of the dead bodies. And the 47-minute film has video from inside the homes where Hamas committed its atrocities. The terrorists murdered the parents in a very gruesome way at home. They then took the baby and literally put him into the kitchen oven. Hmm. You now understand why people who support Hamas don't want you to see that. They don't want the world to know or to remember what Hamas did. So they beat people in America who are watching the film. Jen Smith here, chief reporter for DailyMail.com. Jen, we had you here about a week ago talking about this and mm-hmm. these, these sort of roving gangs that are, are now turning violent. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us what your reporting is finding. Well, look, I mean, that film that you just mentioned, the 47-minute film, I have just come from a screening of that film at the Israeli consulate here in New York. And it's, 
it's incriminating footage, Leland. It's not surprising that maybe some people who are supporting Palestine and sort of overlooking the atrocities of Hamas, they don't want anyone to see it. But you mentioned these roving protests. Last night, Gal Gadot's screening in Los Angeles, ironically held at the Museum of Tolerance, you know, the headlines about that today are all about the aggression that met the people who had gone there to view this. We've seen other aggressive protests. I don't need to tell you about the awful situation in California involving a 69-year-old Jewish protester who ended up dead after an altercation at another. So it doesn't feel like the temperature is being taken down at all. And in the meantime, you have people who continue to support Israel trying to make their case for why they are supporting Israel, and they're being met with um, fury. Yeah, the, the live pictures we were just putting up is live pictures of a, a pro-Palestinian march. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've asked for a while now, when, when, if you're at a march where people are chanting river to the sea uh, to destroy the state of Israel, does it not become a pro-Hamas march now that we're three or four weeks into this? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see some Israel, you know, pro-Israeli protesters on the other side. I'm always... Uh, thoughtful when you look at these crowds, the pro-Palestinian side or pro-Hamas side, whatever you want to call it, um, they always have masks on. Uh, and all the congressional staffers that walked out and demanded a ceasefire yesterday, they all had masks on. They don't want you to know who they are. I haven't seen that on the pro-Israel side. Why do you think that is? Well, no, of course not. I mean, we spoke about this last week, the people who are supporting Palestine. And I I do believe that there is a distinction between people who are pro-Palestine and and people who are pro-Hamas. It's not always that easy for them to find. Um, But they do not want their faces shown. They think they are sticking it to the man and being rebellious because they're going against the government. Um, and, And they kind of claim that they will be unfairly targeted by the police or by the media, actually, if they attend these protests. So that's why they cover their faces. One thing that was really interesting, though, when we talk about the difference between pro Hamas, pro Palestine, in this video that I just watched, taken by the Hamas fighters themselves, 47 minutes, not one mention of Palestine, not one mention of Gaza. Instead, they chanted about killing Jews. They chanted, uh, you know, standing on the necks of Israeli soldiers. But they didn't talk at all about the liberation mm. of Palestine or the people of Gaza. It, sa- it, says, it says an awful lot. Mm. It really does um, that, you, that you have laid out. Uh, Jen, thank you. We appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Coming up. Gen Z hates adulting. Turns out, well, all these kids might have a legitimate reason for not wanting to grow up. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We're back with some breaking news. This just coming down moments ago. Israel has agreed to four-hour daily humanitarian pauses in the fighting with Hamas. four-hour pause in northern Gaza each day. This is huge. This is huge. All right, that's just some of the reporting on what you heard a major announcement from the White House. It's perhaps just the latest example of what can be described as spin 
during the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Generously caused spin. We're going to get to the online propaganda that's been spun uh, in favor of both sides. Both sides are trying to spin in a minute. And there is a lot of that. But first, why today's announcement comes with an asterisk? Just look at the headlines. Israel will begin four-hour pauses. Biden gets four-hour battle pauses. Western media paints this as something new and big and a big change. Even the National Security Council spokesman called it a big deal. It's actually not new. Israel's been doing this for a while now. IDF spokesperson Jonathan Conricus is here. Uh, it's good to see you, sir. I- I'm trying to figure out, is there anything different that's happening than I'd seen over the past five, six days? Corridors for humanitarian evacuations, Israeli troops protecting Gazan civilians as they move south? Yeah, thank you for having me. What's happening is, you know, there's reality on the ground. Reality on the ground is dictated by what the troops are doing and, of course, what the enemies are doing. Uh, What we are doing is, and we have been doing that for the last five days, is to allow Palestinian civilians in northern Gaza to evacuate towards the south. We're doing that because we want to empty the battlefield. We are not fighting the civilians. They are not our enemy. We want to get to Hamas and dismantle Hamas in their strongholds. And it's simply a much better and easier way of doing it without having civilians in the way being used as human shields by Hamas. To that point, Colonel, about the human shields, we're watching and we can see now there's some humanitarian trucks moving north. I know the IDF has searched those to make sure there's not weapons going in. Uh, We've seen the the Israeli soldiers protecting uh, the civilians moving south and Israeli tanks along that that line. What are we to make of the, the reports that Hamas is still holding human shields? Does this mean there are no human shields left or is Hamas still holding some people? They are unfortunately holding still, I would say, hundreds of thousands. Uh, We estimate that between 800 and 900,000 Palestinians have evacuated south, despite us asking, pleading with them for two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks, we've been telling them, move south, go to the south. There is food, water, there is access to medicine, and there's a humanitarian safe zone. All of that in the south, the only thing you have to do is walk a few miles. It's not crossing uh, Wyoming. It is just walking about five miles, five, six miles from where they are to relative safety in the south. And that's the thing to do. Look, the Gaza Strip's a small place. I've been there myself, small but densely populated. Um, Ground truth inside the Gaza Strip, we saw uh, the the video come out of the watch party uh, of the Hamas videos. and clips of Hamas that were being played by Hamas for folks in the Gaza Strip, which sort of flies in the face of the idea that there's massive uh, power outages uh, inside Gaza or that there's a limit of uh, Internet because all of these uh, seem to be able to be getting out just fine. Things have changed a little bit since my time, uh, 2010 to 2014, uh, in terms of how aggressive the IDF is being, not just in you all talking, but in the amount that you all are putting out of information. There's an irony, right, of the IDF putting out video of aid trucks moving in, insofar as part of the war you all are fighting is an information one, is it not? That is true. And, you know, you spoke about reports from the White House. Everybody is basing their decision-making, not necessarily all of the time, on 
verified facts on the ground presented by reliable sources, but a lot of it is based on unverified reports in the media. Gaza is a place that reporters are not allowed to report what they want, especially local freelancers. Um, they report what Hamas tells them to report to Reuters, CNN, Associated Press. There's a report um, that some uh, freelancers may have gotten a tip off to the October 7th attacks. Th that's all sort of in, in dispute right now. What I'm curious is, when you see your reporting and the the fact that the the stories that Israel puts out, and then the sort of same validity given to information coming from Hamas uh, in American media, what do you make of that? Yeah, first and foremost, we want to be we are careful with claiming anything about what journalists are doing in Gaza. And at this stage, we are not saying that uh, they were participants or that they had a tip-off or anything like that. We want to be clear about that. And we continue to uh, respect the security and the safety of journalists in Gaza. Full stop. Second thing is that, you know, they report what Hamas allows them report, to report. And if they don't report correctly, according to the Hamas message page, then they face consequences, they and their family. They are compromised. Yeah. Palestinian stringers are compromised in Gaza, and they are under tremendous pressure by Hamas. They're not necessarily bad people. They're under tremendous pressure by what? Hamas, and they can only report what's okay with Hamas. And then that gets out, and it has the logo of the New York Times or the AP, and then that's the truth. No, yeah, I, I hear you. I, Look, I, I've dealt with it myself. I mean, I, I worked with stringers in Gaza as well, and you had to you had to sort of be, try try and figure out what was Hamas propaganda and what were they really trying to tell you. Last question for you. I'm sure you've seen this, that uh, in the past couple of hours, the release of the Islamic Jihad hostage video um, with an offer to release uh, two hostages with medical conditions. Uh, any response from the Israeli government on that? Yeah, I, I've seen it. You know, that boy, uh, he is the age of uh, my third oldest son, and I couldn't but think of him when I saw him. And I listened to his words. I think he's a tremendously brave young man. Um, this is psychological warfare of the lowest order. Uh, what uh, Hamas and the Islamic Jihad are doing is just trying to manipulate. Um, it's good that you're not showing the clip, only a, free, a, a frame from it. You shouldn't be showing the clip because that would just uh, further their aims. We understand what they're doing. Our commitment is to bring all of them back. And the only way there's going to be any type of ceasefire is for all of our hostages, all of our 239 women, children, babies, elderly and men to be brought back home to Israel in safety. Hamas are accountable for it. And uh, we are committed to getting them back in any way, by force or all by right. diplomacy. All right. Fair enough. Colonel, it's good to see you, sir. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. We invite you to sign up for War Notes. It gives you a free look at the show every day at 4 p.m. So you go to readwarnotes.com and subscribe. The notes started as our internal email discussion among the staff about the most important events of the day. It's literally how we put the show together every day, and you get to be a part of it. You can respond to the email with your thoughts or join us on social media at Leland Vittert on Instagram or Twitter. That's readwarnotes.com and subscribe for free. When we come back, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin isn't going to run for re-election, so what's he going to do instead? The things he didn't rule out when he said he wouldn't run for re-election. 
Chris might have some insights when we come back. Well, the stakes of 2024 just got even higher. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin is not seeking re-election in 2024. Creates an opening for Republicans to flip the moderate Democrat seat in the world's, it says greatest here, self-described greatest deliberative body, the United States Senate. Chris is here. We established last night, Chris, that you have great sources inside the Democratic Party. What are they saying about Joe Manchin? Actually, we described that you know people. In the Democratic Party. Uh, what, what are your sources saying about Joe Manchin's departure? Are you mocking me, my handsome no. young friend? Oh, okay. No, I am um, not mocking. I'm, I'm genu- no, this is what I'm genuinely interested in, okay? And I, I'll, I'll make this, the, the question more specific. Please. Which is, I thought it was really, you said, I'm not running for re-election, but it was kind of like, but kind of sort of if I might be needed later for something else. It wasn't like, yeah. I'm done with politics, I'm retiring to be with my grandkids. Yeah. So... Uh, here's what my source tells me. Uh, his family's okay. His health is good. Uh, and with those two uh, bases intact, I say that uh, I am very upset to hear from Joe Manchin uh, that this is true and that he is uh, not going to seek reelection. I think it is a mistake. Uh, I think it is bad for the country. I think it is bad for our chances of getting to a better place. And of course, it's problematic for the Democratic Party because I don't know how they get any Democrat with a chance to win. I think he had an uphill battle, uh, even though he's a legend in West Virginia. Uh, I think this is a sign of the times and it is a bad sign. Yeah, Nick Saban is a Democrat, may, may not even have a choice in West Virginia, a favorite son. Um, Brad Paisley, perhaps, the country music singer from West Virginia, is a Democrat. He could have a chance in West Virginia. But I'm, I'm thinking more, is this Joe Manchin's way of trying to create a draft Joe Manchin for president no. movement? Let you me don't tell think you so? something about Joe Manchin. Uh, he ain't subtle, okay? Mm-hmm. If he wanted to run, he would run. If he wanted to be drafted, he'd tell you, I think I should be drafted. Uh, if he wanted to make noise, he'd be making noise. The guy's frustration uh, is... <clears throat> he is a deal maker. Now, some will say, it's probably, my phone's getting hot right now, because they're saying, oh, what are you talking about? He's been killing the Democratic Party. Joe Manchin has always been the same guy. I've known him a long time. I watched him in action as governor in West Virginia, have to tell mm-hmm. families that the information that was put out about their loved ones being found alive was wrong in the middle of the night. No governor that I know, maybe Andrew, but anybody who's politically wise would never go to families with horrible news that they hadn't provided in the first place. Um, He's a conscience guy. He's a deal maker. He's a principle guy. You may not like his positions. That's fine. But he's not a sneak and he hasn't changed. I was going to say, this almost feels a little bit like a eulogy. I guess it is a political eulogy, right? He's, he's done, it's over. And I mean, look, could he run can... for state office in West Virginia? Yeah. Could he run for president? Uh, it's going to be hard to get the money together. I got to tell you, I yeah, mean, no, no, if Biden's right. not what the guy got... for the Democrats, they got trouble. Yeah. What do you got on the show tonight? Uh, I have really good guests. Trying a little different type of show tonight. Instead of, like, focusing on the what, I'm focusing on the who. I have the governor of Maryland, uh, Wes Moore. Why isn't he running for president on the Democratic side? Um, Then we have Mossab 
Hassan Youssef. He is blowing up on the internet. He is known as the Green Prince. And yep. he Son went viral last week yelling at me on the show. People completely misunderstood where he's coming from. No one has more complete perspective on the situation than he. Um, yep. Nobody's lived in on all sides like he. Now he's here in America. He's going to be live on set telling us about how what's happening there could happen here. And then I have Adam Carolla, who is, you know, one of the biggest podcasters in existence, yeah. brilliant comedic mind, to kind of take on what's happening in this country in reaction to the Middle East. Right, so here, really I just want you to guys. know, I just want you to know if any of them cancel, okay? Now, it, it, it will be big shoes to fill, but if any of them you cancel, call me. I'm always available for you. Just, you know, when you're focusing on the who, I'm here. I'm just I saying, see I'm you as a current and future right, we leader in this country. <laughs> Pinch hitter. I'll see you soon, my friend. Coming up next, new data proving what your grandparents told you and what, certainly what Chris's parents said about him. The kids today, they just can't get off the ground. Man, I'm so nervous. I mean, first and second grade were easy, but social studies, division, this is going to be tough. I'm so nervous. I mean, first and second grade were easy, but social studies, division, this is going to be tough. Relax, dude. Jackpot. So that was from Billy Madison. Not growing up used to be a thing only in movies, something that we all made fun of. That's why it was in the movies. Now it's just a Generation Z thing. And to be fair, quote-unquote, adulting, is harder than it once was. 55% say it's much harder to buy a home. 44% say it's much harder to find a job. And apparently, marriage is a generational thing as well. Two in five think marriage is outdated tradition. 85% think marriage is not necessary. It means 15% think it is. 73% think it's too expensive to get married. Emily Jashinsky, culture editor at The Federalist, is here. Does Gen Z get a bad rap? Bad rap? Well, do you remember, I was reading this New York Post article about Gen Z, and it actually felt like something that was written in 2012 about millennials. I'm a millennial. Um, Lillian, you're a millennial, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I think I mean, you are. I don't want to. I don't want to help you as a millennial, but yeah. <laughs> but there, there were a lot of articles written like this. I don't this think, I don't think you can change when you were born. Like no matter how you no. identify, I think your birth. We're still your birth year is your birth year. So 1982, if that I'm one, a millennial, guilty as charged. Okay, so you are a millennial. You are a millennial, okay. uh, but barely. Uh, but there were all of these articles written about 10 years ago about millennials, except I do think there's this big difference with Gen Z in that they grew up in a climate where so many of these different norms and traditions had been utterly brought to the ground. You know, marriage is a really good example. And so they didn't have, you know, we were looking at the boomers for an example, and they were still getting married at higher rates. They were obviously one of the first generations to experience things like no-fault divorce, but they were still getting married at higher rates. Gen Z didn't see a lot of that. And marriage is kind of that building block for how people end up being able to buy houses, how people are comfortable having kids. And if you don't start with that building block, then a lot of the other things are going to happen either out of order or not at all. So it makes sense. I think college debt is another huge part of this conversation. If you're graduating with an average of about $40,000 in student loan debt, that makes all of the rest of this a lot harder, too. How much of it, though, is this sort of tearing down of the idea of nuclear family and tearing down of norms that is the, the social fabric, if you will, that, that binds so much of America, frankly, binds so much of society together for eons? 
It's, I think that's an absolutely essential part of it, and there's no question that's been happening. There's also no question that the social science shows, uh, A, most people want to have children, and B, most children are better off in a household with both of their parents. I mean, this is just yeah. decades of research in addition to common sense. And so, yeah, I think we're entering into like a, a really frightening period, uh, socioeconomically, culturally. This is scary stuff, and I do think yeah, no, it no, goes no, it's back a great- to— it's a great point. Gen, well, Z, Gen when, Z may not be 